Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about the depravity of man. Unless you see yourself as Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he describes men walking on slippery, icy poles over hell. Unless you see yourself in such jeopardy, you will not run to the Father's arms. You have not seen your need of salvation. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now those who are captivated by infomercials understand the power of a good sales pitch. And unfortunately, in time, and a few dollars poorer, many come to the realization that it was too good to be true. Well, Pastor Xavier says there is one thing that does live up to its calling, but even though it's free, many will turn it down. Let's join him for today's captivating study. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30, and I've entitled the message, How Do You Respond to the Gospel? The gospel of salvation had reached man from the days of John the Baptist as he preached in the Jordan to the very preaching of Jesus Christ. Men and women were entering the kingdom of God, but there were many others who were not. And that's always the case. As the gospel goes forth, there are those who have ears to hear and there are those who have hearts to say no. How and why and how all that works out is a mystery of the gospel. And no one knows it better than a preacher and a teacher. For he stands before a congregation and he looks upon the people, as he ministers, he sees different responses, he sees different reactions. He sees somebody being turned on to the gospel, and he sees someone next to that other person, and they're in la-la land. And it all has to do with God's mysterious work of the gospel and the heart of man. We don't truly understand it, though we can see the reaction and the results of it. What is your response to those who are saved? What is your attitude to those who aren't saved? Are you indifferent to those who come to Christ and say, oh, well, fine, now get on your way? Are you excited for them? Do you come alongside and help them? Are you callous to those who have rejected the gospel because really you think they have rejected you rather than Jesus? Do you write them off or do you continue to pray and to move in life, coming back for another shot? We want to look to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning in verses 25 through 30 and see how He responds to those who hear the gospel. What His attitude is, that we might learn from Him let me read verses 25 through 30, and we'll take a section at a time. He says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows a son except the Father. 
Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The first thing we want to look at is the proclamation of thanks in verse 25 and 26. Notice the setting is marked by the phrase, at that time Jesus answered. That means that what he's talking about looks back to what precedes verse 25. Beginning chapter 11 in verse 2, because verse 1 should go with the end of chapter 10. John's disciples had come to Jesus to inquire for John whether they would lo were looking for another. Now, some have misunderstood and thought that John was doubting whether Jesus was the Messiah. But notice in verse 2 that it says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Underline, works of Christ. The word Christ is the title for Messiah, the Anointed One. What he heard being done, he agreed was the works of the Messiah. So he was not doubting the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. But John did misunderstand the mission of Christ because it didn't line up with the message he was proclaiming of judgment and the kingdom to be established. Remember, John closes the Old Testament, as we'll see as we move on. And he didn't get to see the ultimate outpouring of God's love, the cross of Jesus Christ. He must have had some idea of the cross, for he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But his message did not line up with the mission of Jesus. And that's better stated. Whenever I get confused or I misunderstand God, it's because my message does not line up with the kingdom of God, with His mission. And then I become offended, and for that reason in verse 6, He says, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Let me give you a transliteration. Happy is the man or woman who does not misunderstand my ways. You see, if you and I can commit ourselves to the ways of God, we'll never be disappointed or confused because we know His ways are good and they are perfect. And whenever His works are manifested in my life, whenever His will is revealed to my life, though the works and the will may not align with my will, I know that His ways are good, so I commit myself to His ways and I don't become offended. It's when I misunderstand the Lord working in my life, that I become offended. And I say, Lord, what are you doing? Why me? And I can hear loud and clear, why not you? You're as good as anybody else to work through. Now Jesus clears John of any suspicion of doubt, verses 7 down to 15. 
Vaguely, he declares that John was no weak, intimidating, and vacillating reed like you see down in the Jordan with the wind blowing. And it just blew whatever direction the wind came. Not John. John was courageous, steadfast. He denied the priesthood to be alone in the wilderness in preparation for the proclamation of the Messiah. When Herod took his brother Philip's wife, he did not keep quiet. He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And for that reason, he is in prison. Chapter 14, verse 3 tells us that detail. So Jesus says, now, I know what some of you are thinking about John as his disciples came. You're saying, yeah, there it is, that preacher. He preaches well, but look at him, he's doubting now. Not John. He did misunderstand the mission of Jesus. But he wasn't doubting. He was a strong man, courageous. A second thing Jesus says in verse 8 is that John neither was a politician who was wealthy and lived in life of comfort. Those kind of men you found in king's houses, he says. But he was a prophet as he moves on in the narrative. As a matter of fact, more than a prophet, he was the prophet of God, the forerunner of the Messiah. The one who would close the Old Testament. Usually we say Malachi closes the Old Testament. And in a technical sense, we, uh, we understand it to mean the last inspired writer. But in the literal sense, it's John the Baptist who closed the Old Testament time. Not Malachi. For all did prophesy until John the Baptist, he tells us in the verses that are further on. He closes the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, he is a type of Elijah from verses 13 through 15. The angel appeared to his father Zechariah and says, He shall come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Partial fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment will be Elijah himself in the tribulation period. Who the other witnesses? We don't know. There are various candidates. Enoch, Moses, take your pick. Zerubbabel, there's a great work for him in the last days. We don't know. But here's John. And it's so easy for us to get a wrong perspective of people because of things that happen in their lives sometimes and we make wrong judgments upon them. We don't know what's going on. And here Jesus clears John of all sense of doubt. As a matter of fact, he exalts him. For the scriptures declare, he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself shall be brought down low and abased. You could say that this was John's eulogy. For Jesus knew that he was going to be beheaded not long from then. John was the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy of chapter 3, verse 1. The one who would prepare the way of the Lord. We covered that earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, Jesus moves on to liken his generation as spoiled, cantankerous, and fickle children 
who are never satisfied. You find that in verses 16 through 19. And he picks up the proverbial saying of children in the marketplace. And they say, you know, we, some of you say, let's pray funeral, and, and you don't cry. And others of them say, let's play wedding, and you don't rejoice. He says, what's going to turn you on? You know, John came as an ascetic, and you said, you know, he's crazy, he's mad. The Son of Man came drinking, and you call him a glutton. In other words, it wouldn't make any difference who God sent. They just weren't going to believe. Now, this is the very setting which Jesus is referring to. At that time, Jesus answered. In view of all this rejection, because it's already begun. He's just done ten miracles in chapter 8 and 9. In chapter 10, he has sent his disciples out. He has warned them of the persecution, the suffering. He's told them that Christ brings division, but they will lose no reward in what they do for the kingdom of God. It is in the backdrop of belief and unbelief that Jesus thanks the Father. And please mark it, the Lord of heaven and earth. He owns and controls everything. And therefore, he reproaches the city of Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, verses 20 through 24. Because to them was given the greater light than those who had preceded those cities. Can you imagine that those people who have died and are in hell today, waiting for judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre and Sidon, that it will be much better for them than some people who hear the gospel throughout this age and will never respond to the gospel. Now, they were pretty bad. Sodom and Gomorrah comes up numerous times. This alone is not the first time in the Gospel of Matthew. And yet it would be much better if you reject the Gospel of Jesus Christ, having heard it for them than for you. Awesome warning. I don't think we can understand the impact of that because we so lightly brush it away with our comfort, our rationale, and our reasoning. And yet, mark it well, they are the words of Jesus Christ. He speaks in chapter 11 and 12 for the majority of the time. If you have a red-letter edition, it's very easy to notice that. They are the very words of Jesus. The gratitude of Jesus is to the Father, who is Lord of heaven and earth. But He gives two reasons. First, because He had hidden the things of God, the good news from the wise and the prudent. Those who had rejected the gospel, the wise and the prudent, referred to those who are self-sufficient. They use the logic, the reason of the world. They use their very own dependency on the world system to explain God away, to rationalize that the gospel is fine for those who need it, but not for me. I'm different. I'm the exception. 
I'm not as bad as you. I really have never done anything real bad. But the deception is that all fall short of the glory of God. And there is not one righteous, no, not one. And if you were the most moral person in the world and never committed any great sin, you would never enter the kingdom of God. Because you were born not only in sin, internally, but to sin through life. And man in public or in private can do nothing but sin. It is his nature. If there is an exception, God doesn't know about it. And he's all-knowing. Those who declare that the cross is foolishness, Paul the Apostle picks that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Not the preaching of foolishness, but through the foolishness of preaching. God has chosen the silly way to just proclaim the gospel that people would be saved. Now, if you and I would have arranged the gospel to be proclaimed or for salvation to come, we would have figured out some real meticulous, difficult uh, system to do it by. So when people did it, they would say, yes, I did this. But the way God chose to save man humbles everybody because no one can boast. As a matter of fact, if we think on it too long, it's kind of even embarrassing and kind of difficult to tell people because they won't believe it. And so God gets all the glory. But secondly, notice that it's because he had revealed them, the things of God, the gospel to babes. The babes are in direct contrast to the wise and the prudent. Those who have humbled themselves, those who are poor in spirit, those who have been willing to see their own sinfulness and their need of salvation as God has revealed it. It doesn't take a real intellectual giant to be born again. As a matter of fact, if you depend on your brain and logic to know everything, to understand everything, you probably will have a more difficult time in coming to Christ. Yet, if you open your heart, God can save you. So the difficulty is not on God's side, the difficulty is on my side. Whether I am willing to open my heart and believe God for what He has declared as a little child. Unless we become like a little child, the Bible says we cannot enter the kingdom of God. The wise and prudent are those who are strong in themselves. Only the strong survive. Isn't that what we say? you got to go for it. You've got to make your mark in this world. And we've got so many crazy and mixed up concepts of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman. And everybody's out there trying to prove what that is, whatever it is. And yet the Bible declares that being a man and a woman is reached when we humble our hearts and open our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we align ourselves with the true purposes of God and we for the first time know why God created us. For His good pleasure. And then we can begin to experience life in its fullest and we know what it is to be a man. It isn't beating people up. 
It isn't being successful in business. It isn't thinking you're a stud. It's being broken before God and knowing that there's a tremendous purpose for your life. And so, our society is confused in so many different ways. Notice next, the delight of the Father is the salvation of man, not the damnation of man in verse 26. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. Now, we've just given you two reasons why he thanked the Father. Are we to believe that Jesus is thanking the Father for those who are lost? Verse 26 clears it up. Of course not. The word good there is the word delight, good pleasure. Jesus thanked the Father for opening the eyes of babes, but his heart was broken over those who were lost still. He thanked the Father in Luke's gospel that comes right after the seven, they returned from their mission. And they rejoiced that even the devils were subject to them. But Jesus says, don't rejoice that the devils are subject to, do, to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. We put such a great emphasis on the wrong things. Oh, God is using me. Oh, God showed me this. Oh, God showed me that. And we should just be rejoicing that, man, we're saved. <laughs> now, it's fine that you acknowledge God is working in you and through you and everything, but are you excited that you're saved? Do you know what that means? but maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not saved. Then you're in a real dilemma. Because you stand on one side of eternity that really separates you from everything that God intended. On the other side are those who have come to Christ. Not by any virtue of themselves, but by that which God has revealed the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so here the delight of the Father, as well as Jesus Christ, is in that those who the gospel has come to, they have humbled themselves and been open to receive the message of the gospel and see themselves as they really are for the first time. And they are so shocked and so devastated and see themselves in such a need that all they can do is rush to the Father's arms and say, Save me, Lord. Have you seen yourself in need of salvation like that? Or do you just kind of say, well, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, but I'm saved, but you know, I would. no, 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 you've got it wrong. Unless you see yourself as Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he describes men walking on slippery, icy poles over hell. Unless you see yourself in such jeopardy, you will not run to the Father's arms. You may agree, well, yeah, man, it's kind of bad and that, and you just kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll walk towards the Father and just, no. But if you're not running to the Father, you have not seen your need of salvation. You still basically think that you're pretty good. And you're really not that bad. You see, when the gospel of Christ comes to us and we see ourselves for who we really are, it's a real ugly picture. It's a real humbling picture. 
but God is there to take care of that. And this is the delight of the Father. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth about sin and our need for a Savior. And you can request a copy of today's captivating study called How Do You Respond to the Gospel? It's available on CD for just $4. And be sure you request an additional copy to pass along to those you're trying to reach with the gospel. Now, the title to ask for once again is How Do You Respond to the Gospel? Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And we appreciate you including the call letters of this station when you contact us. So who would be foolish enough to turn down the greatest gift ever? Find out when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com